The reading is from Acts chapter 3, verses 12 to 19. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, You Israelites, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us, as though by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. But you rejected the Holy and Righteous One and asked to have a murderer given to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by faith in his name, his name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given him this perfect health in the presence of all of you. And now, friends, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. In this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out. This is the word of the Lord. The lesson is taken from Luke chapter 24. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. In the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. We're in a locked room in Jerusalem with the disciples and their companions in today's Gospel reading. Their world has been turned upside down, not once, but twice. First, they'd lost Jesus when he was dragged away to be crucified, and when he was dead, some of them had seen him buried in a stone tomb. But now, rumours are spreading that he's alive again. People are saying they've seen him, that the tomb is empty. Two of his followers have come rushing in, saying he'd walked with them to their home village of Emmaus, but that it was only when he broke bread that they recognised who it was. And then, suddenly, there he is, in the room, in front of them. It's all completely beyond them, overwhelming, surreal. They stand there, stunned into silence, while Jesus tries to talk to them. In the end, he gives up trying to explain 
and he says, have you got anything to eat? They have, as it happens, broiled fish, so that's what they give him. It's as if he showed up in our own front rooms today, standing among us in all his shimmering glory, and announced, you know, I could murder a nice cup of tea. It all sounds rather banal, though. What's broiled fish got to do with the vanquishing of death, the opening of the gates of glory, the life everlasting, the new creation? Broiled fish are so mundane. But I think that's just the point. Resurrection, in a way, is mundane. Mundane literally meaning to do with this world, with the reality we see and know. Our first reading was all about the real and the physical too. It's an account of the aftermath of the healing of a man who'd been lame from birth. Peter and John had come across him begging at the gate of the temple. He asked them for money, but they had none. Instead, they offered him what they did have, healing, something which would liberate him from his dependency on the charity of others, as well as relieving his physical pain. Straight away, he jumped to his feet, according to the story, praising God. We don't know what happened to him after his healing. Did he join the disciples or just melt back into the crowd? But in real physical terms, his life was transformed. And that seems to have been what mattered most to Peter. The life of Jesus, who he calls the author of life, life itself, had overflowed into this man's life and brought about a change that was real and tangible. Of course, we tend to come to stories like these of resurrection and miraculous healing with a lot of sceptical baggage. With our post-enlightenment understanding, we often get completely stuck on their impossibility and can go no further with them. But we need to recognise that our viewpoint and our problems wouldn't have been shared by those who first heard and told these stories. People of the first century and many centuries before and after, didn't think that resurrection or miraculous healing were intrinsically impossible, even if these weren't things they expected to see happening. They believed the world was ruled by the will of God. If he wanted to heal or to raise from the dead, he could. I don't know what we'd have seen if we'd been there on Easter Day, or at the temple gates with a video camera. The people who wrote these accounts weren't trying to answer our questions. They were trying to express their own experience, that somehow Jesus was alive and that his resurrection changed everything. God was at work in their midst, not trying to scoop them up out of the physical world, but within it, redeeming and transforming it. We often think of Christmas as the great feast of the Incarnation, God becoming flesh in the child of Bethlehem. But actually, for the early Christians, Easter was just as much about incarnation as Christmas, perhaps even more so. It too was all about a body, a body that lived and breathed when no one would expect it to, a body that bore the scars of what had happened to it, a body that ate and drank. You shall call his name Emmanuel, said the angel Gabriel to Mary before he was born. God with us in Hebrew. It's a fitting title for the baby in the manger, but in some ways it's even more appropriate for the risen Christ. 
God is with us, says the resurrection, even though we've tried so hard to send him away into the shadows of death. God is with us in the person of Jesus, raised from death, different in some ways, but unmistakably flesh and blood too, as he eats that piece of broiled fish, something you could smell and taste, with bones you had to pick out from between your teeth and juices you had to lick off your fingers, as real as it gets. God is with us and at work in the nitty-gritty things of life, just as committed to his world in all its messy physicality as he had ever been. The resurrection, just like Jesus' birth, is a message that our vulnerable, fallible bodies aren't some kind of prison for the far more noble spiritual material of our souls, prisons which we should look to rise above and long to be delivered from. They're a gift from God, who made this world and all that's in it, who looked at it and called it good, and not only came into it once as a baby in a manger, but came back to it in the risen Jesus to bless and heal it. That mattered to the early Christians, whose words we're reading when we read the New Testament. They didn't have the physical presence of Jesus among them any more, but they were still very convinced that he was there. They believed that they met him first and foremost in one another, as they formed new communities, drawing together Jew and Gentile, slave and free, men and women. They were the body of Christ. Living as that body wasn't about mysterious rituals or complex liturgy or abstract theological ideas. It was about serving those around them in tangible, physical ways, washing feet, sharing possessions, feeding the hungry, giving dignity to those who are most vulnerable. The Bible says very little about life after death and a great deal about life before it, about everyday justice, everyday hope, everyday acts of loving kindness. If our faith doesn't touch our lives on Monday mornings as well as Sundays, in daily work, in friendships, in family life, in the way we speak to the person at the supermarket checkout, then it's not a faith worth having. Not a faith that will ever convince anyone else that it's worth seeking either. We discover and proclaim Jesus in the broiled fish of life. It's the small things, things which might not seem grand or important, which usually turn out to change everything. Who knew when they brought that fish at the market and built the fire over which it was cooked, what a role it would play, that it would be the sign that God really was present and at work. So this week, I wonder what the broiled fish will be for us. The places where God will suddenly appear if we have eyes to see him. The ways in which we'll discover and proclaim the love of God, still with us, still at work, still bringing the hope and healing people need. Amen. Almighty Father, who in your great mercy gladdened the disciples with the sight of the risen Lord, give us such knowledge of his presence with us that we may be strengthened and sustained by his risen life and serve you continually in righteousness and truth. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, 
one God, now and forever. Amen.